0: Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street Portfolio Manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Good morning, everyone. It's Monday. Uh, October 10th. is Columbus Day. It's a holiday, uh, which means that the bond markets are closed. However, the equity markets uh, remain open today uh, on on Columbus Day. This is Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Efficient Market Advisors, bringing you my weekly economic and market commentary. Uh, As a reminder, this is available With subscription, you get the slides and the graphs and the charts. If you're seeing this, you're subscribed. If you're not seeing it, you want to subscribe, just send us an email, info at efficient-portfolios.com. We don't use your information for anything other than sending you this link on a weekly basis. Or, of course, if you're driving or otherwise just want to listen, it's available as a podcast. Just say to your smart device, please play slaying bulls and bears, or play a Herb Morgan's podcast. Either one of those will certainly get the job done. The presentation you're about to see and or hear is designed for use with you. Whether you are an investor or a financial advisor, you are expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. The information contained herein is for informational purposes only. Uh, With that, let's get right into it. Uh, As you know, we turned bullish last week uh, after the big, big sell-off the prior week, uh, culminating on the big Friday, the prior week sell-off. We said there was multiple indicators suggesting that a market bottom was in. Among those was the percentage of stocks negative, the percentage making new lows, relative strength, investor sentiment, CTA positioning, just a number of different indicators. And, and we, boy, it was, what a, what a, what a first two days of the week we had with massive run-ups in equity prices uh, last week. However, uh, the remainder of the week, it slowly drifted away, not totally unexpected after massive run-up like that, of course. Uh, But we ended up finishing the week higher across the board in equities. That was very nice to see. Emerging markets, uh, mid-cap, small-cap, getting close to that 3% level. S&P was the laggard at at a very healthy 1.6%. We also saw high-yield bonds rally. Uh, They rallied, of course, in sympathy with equity. But this year, they had been selling off in sympathy with bonds. Bonds moved slightly lower with the ag and the long-dated treasuries continue their pummeling for the year. Normally, when you see a stock market sell-off and the view that a recession might be coming, you see treasury bonds catch a bit. They're the safe haven. But because the Fed is continuing to telegraph that they are committed uh, to not lowering rates, they're more committed to fighting inflation, you've seen these long-dated treasuries in a really big sell-off done far worse than, uh, than equities this year. We got a slew of economic data last week, and one of the funniest things I saw was I was, of course, like many of you, I have CNBC on. Sometimes it's on mute, sometimes it's in the background, and sometimes I'm watching it. Well, I'm getting ready for work last week, and uh, Rick, Santelli, Rick Santelli is reporting on the S&P Global, should be a look at dash there, US manufacturing PMI. Well, it tells you just how hard of a job it is for TV reporters. They get the data minutes before the rest of us do, but they only have this very brief time to sort of tell us about it. And they've discovered over the recent years that the more hysterical they sound or the more upset they sound about it, depending on your political views, then that gets more viewers and better interaction with people on their sites, et cetera. Well, Rick Santelli was was going on and on about what a horrible global manufacturing PMI report it was, when in fact, it's not a global manufacturing PMI, it's a U.S. manufacturing PMI. It's put out by a company called S&P Global. used to be put out by a company called Marquette, purchased by S&P Global. So these reports, you know, a lot of times I get calls from you all based on what the reporter said, and oftentimes really more than you think. The reporters get it wrong. It's just the, the urgency and the speed at which they try to get things out. Anyway, the U.S. manufacturing PMI, member manufacturing is about 15% of the economy, as put out by s and Global, rose a little bit from 51.8 to 52, a little bit ahead of expectations. Not really that big of a deal as far as reports go. ISM also put out a report on manufacturing for September that, too, fell 52.8 to 50.9, disappointed a little bit. Here, new orders fell into contraction, even though production rose a little bit and employment fell a little bit. This, coupled with the prior slide, these are disinflationary. Notice I didn't say deflationary. Because the real thing the market's waiting for, the Ollie olly oxen free, it's okay to come out again, is that the Fed rate hiking cycle is near completion or we know when the end is. And I submit to you, obviously, we're far closer to it today than we were at the beginning of the year. Uh, and we might be closer than many of us think. Let's move on to services, 85% of the US economy. S&P Global reported that US services, sorry to Mr. Centelli, uh, US services rose from 43.7 to 49.3. Remember, anything below 50 is contraction. So according to this report, one two, three months of contraction in the service sector—that's uh, pretty big—and uh, so we have to double-check that with the ISM number and the ISM number. If I can get to it, here we go. The ISM number tells a little different story. They say that the services sector is expanding mightily. S&P ISM services came in at 56.7, new orders above 60 business activity just below 60, and employment there rose. So we have to take two of the grain of salt, different statistical methods of measurement. When they're both in agreement, big down or big up, you can, be, you can make a conclusion. Here I would say somewhat inconclusive. All of which goes back to this theory that there's a lot of disinflationary, not deflationary, but disinflationary components in the economy today that are going to bring down inflation, that are bringing down inflation, which is going to signal in the end, the end of the Fed rate hiking cycle. It will come. Uh, We got a report on construction spending. It fell 7 tenths of a percent. That's back-to-back months of decline in construction spending. Um, That's disinflationary, right? Disinflationary. Moving along, Ward's automobile sales. Now this one's on a little bit of a different cycle, meaning there's different big things impacting it. The big thing impacting auto sales had been the shortage of computer chips. So you remember the big pent-up demand, people paying over sticker, waiting lists, long waiting lists to purchase vehicles. Used car prices surging, going up, going even above the price when they were new, even though they've been two years old with twenty thousand miles. Um, now that the chip shortage is starting to get better, now we have higher interest rates, which makes financing for automobiles more difficult. So that. Component is disinflationary, I would say a mixed rate from auto sales because we, we know based on the size of our economy and the wealth in our economy, we really run a little over 16, 16 and a half million new cars a year. And 13 and a half is certainly below where we need to be or where we're expected to be. Factory orders in August unchanged, so zero. You see no, nothing over here on the, on the end of the, uh, the bar graph. Um, So factory orders have moderated, and I would say that's somewhat disinflationary, disinflationary Mm -hmm. as well. Now we get into the labor picture and uh, job openings finally falling off. They got to almost 12 million, now down to 10 and a half. That's a pretty significant decline in the number of job openings. Still way, way above where we've been for the last couple of decades. But the number of job openings coming down. Remember, it was this big spike and this massive demand for labor that was causing, or contributing, I should say, in a very big way to the inflationary pressures. When this come down, that's disinflationary. Again, not deflationary. Initial claims for unemployment rose last week from 190,000 to 219. The jobs market, the labor market, is still healthy, which means the consumer is still strong. So that means when and if we head into a recession without big job losses, it's unlikely to be a very significant recession. I think the market is more concerned about whether the Fed will make a policy mistake. Because remember, this Fed's 0-1, right? They made a policy mistake. They, they overbought bonds and they kept rates low for too long. And that, along with fiscal policy missteps, massive Checks being sent to folks that didn't want or need them in many cases, and then total forgiveness of loans in the form of the PPP. Um, all of that was very inflationary. Now, uh, that's all gone, and it is disinflationary. We got uh, ADP employment report, which is the monthly report statistical estimation of how many jobs were added in the economy. They say that we added two hundred eight thousand jobs last month. Service sector added. 207, well, the goods-producing jobs that would be manufacturing, down about 29,000. That's a very small number, though. So tells you the jobs market's still healthy. We're working out some of the excess. That's pretty good. Really the same thing from the BLS. That's the Government Jobs Report. The September Bureau of Labor Statistics said we added 263,000. Unemployment rate down is three, down to 3.5%. Five-decade low. Participation rate 62.3. It was off about a 10. So, again, how deep is a recession when you have unemployment? Here, we used to joke around, you know, a recession is when your neighbor loses his job, and the depression is when you lose your job. Well, here, we have the highest number of people ever employed in the United States. Uh, we still have, um, you know, we still attract capital from all over the world despite the much, much higher dollar. Also, a disinflationary phenomena. Um, so, let's move on. Let's move on to wholesale inventories. Inventories are continuing to get rebuilt in a big, big way. We shut everything down, inventories got depleted, right? During COVID here. Now we're reopened. Inventory is getting rebuilt here. Okay, as inventories get rebuilt, disinflationary pressure. Really sign after sign after sign that inflation is coming down. The question, well, why why don't I see it in the CPI report or the PCE report? They're both lagging indicators, I'm showing you indicators that I think are real time, that are predictive of where the CPI and the PCE are going. And if the CPI and the PCE are going there, then the Fed can stop raising interest rates. Okay, we also got a report on consumer credit for the month of August, it grew 32 billion, that was big, that shows strength in the consumer. Revolving credit at 17 billion, Third largest monthly increase on record. Now that can be looked at two ways, good or bad. I'm gonna choose good, given the jobs report and the employment picture. Bad, the bad way of looking at that would be that, uh-oh, people are buying things maybe they don't have the cash for, and I just don't see that yet at this point. Let's wrap up with a couple more slides on the inflation uh, story, because that's really what's driving things. Uh, later in the week, when you know, there was some tough Fed talk, that's when the market sold off. Earlier in the week, we thought they were going good. Here is the uh, break even difference between tips and nominal treasuries. uh, peaked out at a little over 3.7, you can see that back in March. Got all the way down under 220, that's when we were getting really excited. We're back up to 240, but you know, you stair step on your way down and I'm not overly concerned about that little move higher um, last week, I, I don't like it, I'd rather see it go back down to two and below two, because then the Fed can back completely off because remember, their target is core PCE of 2%. Speaking of core PCE, okay, this one's a little busy, so I'm gonna spend a minute on it. Purple line right here, left-hand scale, is core PCE inflation. That's the one that the Fed targets at 2%. Here's 2%, moving my orange dot, my red dot across at 2%. I, 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 I imposed this upon a graph of inventories, which were depleted, orange, and are now growing, and backlogged orders. Remember when you couldn't get anything, 18 months to get a car, or all these different things, and now backlogs coming way down. Well, when backlogs went up and inventories went down, look at the lag there of a, about a year. And that's when inflation started to peak or started to, to rise, rather. Now, inflation continues to rise, 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 even after backlogs down, inventories up. Well, finally, it's starting to have an impact, and we see core PCE go down. But as long as these inventories are going up and the backlogs are coming down, we can expect that core PCE to come down pretty substantially. I think the evidence is very, very strong uh, that that is the case. And then what do market participants say? What do the people making large-scale financial bets on the Fed activity say? Well, they say that on the November 2nd meeting, which is coming up quickly, uh, it's more likely than not that they'll have what they call three, three hikes, the hike being 25 basis points, therefore 75 BIPs, puts the fed funds rate in you know, this is not quite three. So the odds are still favoring three. And then they say by December 14th, it'll be five, which means the December hike is 50 basis points. Okay. Uh, And then it has mm, 6.2 for February. So that might only be 25, but could be 50. Right. And then 25, you can see it before it actually starts heading down. So we're closer to the end of that hike cycle than I think most people realize, and that means we're closer to the bottom of the market. It does look to us that the bottom may have been put in, there's never a guarantee of that folks, but there's a lot of indicators, as I said last week, to suggest that that's that's the case. Uh, As I said earlier, today is Columbus Day, so there are no economic numbers being reported. Small business optimism tomorrow, producer prices, Fed's meeting from the last minute Wednesday, weekly claims, consumer prices on Thursday, retail sales, import and export prices expected to be negative, disinflationary, business inventory is expected to be up a little bit, along with um, sentiment. So don't forget, tune in, get us on the podcast, or subscribe, info at efficient-portfolios.com. Thank you for tuning in. I will be back to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.